your life that God has produced a miracle. And most of you in here being born again, number one, if you have asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you, as the Bible has says, is you've been born again. And what that literally translates as is being born from above. That's what that means. So number one, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you've been born from above. So that's a miracle. So you can thank God for that. But I want you to think of something else in your life that is literally that would not have been able to be done or accomplished through your own means, through your own resources, your own strength, uh, your own talents. So everybody think of something. And if you're like, I don't, I don't know if God's done any miracles in my life. Okay, the breath in your lungs. Like it doesn't, we don't have to make it super hard. It can just be as simple as we want it to be. Literally, the fact that you can breathe, that's something to be thankful for. How many of you had all of your bills paid? That's a miracle. Things that you cannot do, that you have a job, that you have the skills and the talents to have a job, whatever your job that you have. God is the one who gave you the skill and the ability to do that job. That's a miracle. When we start recognizing the ways that God moves in our lives and we start partnering with the miracles of God, the way that God has supplied, the way that he has been God in our life, the places where you can look back and you say, okay, I really could have died there. Like I did some really stupid stuff. I remember a long time ago, I had to tell my parents about an event that had happened that I got myself into and I remember my father looking at me and he said, Lynette, God protects children and stupid people and right now you are fitting into both categories. 100%. Thanks, Dad. So if you can look back, in my college days, I did some really unintelligent things, made unintelligent choices and could have died. (laughs) So if you had college days or if you're in college days right now, like me and you're like, God, thank you that I made it home alive. Thank you that I didn't die. Some of you, um, some of you have been through miraculous deliverances from bondage in your life through substance abuse, through pornography, through different things. And God has delivered you. So if you have anything to be thankful for in your life right now, I am going to encourage you just to stick both hands up in the air and just on the inside, on the outside, whatever it is, just to thank God, sail him, not about him, but tell him directly to him, God, I thank you that I am standing here today with breath in my lungs. I thank you, God, that you have brought me to this moment in my life, that everything that tried to take me out, that everything that tried to take me down, every plan of the enemy did not succeed, that it was your plan and your destiny, your design, your purpose that has brought me to this moment in this place right now, that I'm able to lift my hands, that I'm able to praise you, that I'm able to use the breath in my lungs to tell you that you are God and that I am yours and that your design and your purpose for me will come to completeness that everything that you have designed me for everything that you have put me on this earth for father I will accomplish all of it everything that you want to do through me father I submit myself to you to do it through me father I trust you I trust you. Some of you need to make that declaration by faith. There's 
coming at you. And right now you need to make that declaration. I trust God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just praise him? Just praise him this morning. Yes. Thank you, Lord. If you would just turn to somebody around you and say, God is good. Like that's just it. God is good. You guys, amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Right here is perfect. Thank you. No. If it does, then we can move it. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much, Dustin. I'm telling you what. What Alex started out with this morning set the tone because um, you would never know it, but I'm going to tell it, is that that everything that the worship team did this morning, not planned. <laughs> that was just trusting God. There was a number of factors that happened and uh, God knew it was not as none of it was a surprise to God. God had it. So can we just tell our worship team how awesome I appreciate the journey of trusting God. Rhett and I were texting one another last night and I said, we're, we are going to trust the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do. So. If you are trusting Holy Spirit, you're in the perfect place. If you're not trusting Holy Spirit, well then get on board. All right. Hey, before we get started this morning, this book has been in the bookstore for some time. And I happen to have a personalized copy. Um, this is a book that was written by our very own Miss Katie Ford. And it's called Just a Life Story. And if you are looking to be encouraged by... Uh, the works that God does, it's, it's a story of redemption. It's a testimony of God's power and his grace. It's a testimony of his miracles. And Katie, if you would wave at everybody, because there's some people who don't know you. Go ahead and stand up. This is our girl, Katie. <laughs> and so this book is in our bookstore. It, you can get a copy of it. It's 750 in there. Um, but talk to Katie. If you need a testimony of encouragement and what God can do in one life, he will do again and again and again. She's just full of encouragement. So I encourage it. It is an awesome book. Who said that? Yes. Yes. It's an awesome book. (laughs) So be sure and get your copy. Yes. So today is, um, young servant leaders Sunday. Corbin kicked us off this morning. He did, didn't he? That's awesome. And that means that our students are sitting in the auditorium with us this morning. If you're a student sitting in the auditorium, would you just give a big, give a big hand clap? Yeah. 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 They're so cute. Yes. So we have students serving all over this morning. So if you see them, they have on their little lanyards and I'd love our young servant leaders. They're amazing. So in a little bit, I'm going to ask for a little bit of help from them. So things are going to look a little bit different this morning because it's family Sunday, which means that there are little people in the auditorium, students in the auditorium. And so if there's somebody next to you that gets a little restless, it's okay. It's your opportunity to focus, right? (laughs) So, um, a little bit of a confession about myself I have a intrigue and a just, um, I don't know what other word I really 
am taken with old, abandoned houses or buildings and things like I have this, like I want to go in them. And I would not say this publicly. I will only share this with you that I have been known to invite myself into places. <laughs> I will never forget. We were, we went into a house, uh, a house and we were with some friends and Darren was on the phone and we were walking around in this house and I don't remember if an alarm went off. It was an alarm. Yeah. So we were downstairs. Darren was upstairs. We were downstairs looking around. The house was for sale and it had been for sale for a long time. It had set abandoned and vacant for a long time. And we were walking around looking at everything. The door was open. We didn't break in. The door was literally open. Okay. It was, yes, the open door was literally an invitation to say, Lynette, come in and look around. That's how I felt. So we were walking around, looking around. Well, an alarm went off and the three of us took off out of the basement and we ran out the front door. Darren was on the phone and he watched as all three of us went by. <laughs> like, come on, we got to go. So anyway. I don't recommend that for our students in here, but it is fun. So anyway, so old abandoned houses are just kind of a wonder to me. And what I think about is when was the last time somebody lived there? Like these, we have one that's down the road from us. It's kind of creepy when I drive by. For whatever reason, I think it's creepy. I don't really know if it's really creepy, but I think it's creepy. But I look at it and I think, why did somebody leave that house and then nobody moved in after that? Was it, you know, when was the last time somebody walked out the front door of that house and nobody ever walked back in? And like, I think about the stories that were told in the house. I think about the times that were shared there, the families that lived there, the history that that house represents. Um, it's just, it's very, very curious to me. And as the house just sits vacant and abandoned, there's no upkeep on it. And the home and the property begin to deteriorate and lose value. And I think, is that just, you know, did the house uh, become too expensive for all of the things that needed to be upgraded and taken care of? Uh, is it, was it just so outdated? The structure of the home was not solid anymore. What, you know, was it, did what happened that there's nobody living there anymore? And it's just that this property and this house now just begins to deteriorate and over time, the neglect that's left there that it just, somebody somewhere decided that it just didn't have any value. And so it just sits and begins to fall apart. And it can be very subtle at first. It could be the paint is chipping. It could be that the, you know, the hinges on the doors just start to wear out and they don't line up anymore. The foundation is settling somewhere. And so little cracks begin to happen. And I think about the way that these properties and these houses deteriorate over time because of neglect. And I think <clears throat> that's a pretty, uh, likeness, a comparison to the way that life can be sometimes. For us, 
and in different areas and in different places that we can experience a very gradual deterioration and it doesn't seem like it doesn't, it's like it just didn't happen overnight, but all of a sudden we wake up and we think, how did I get here? That over time, maybe relationships, friendships begin to deteriorate. And then uh, one, one day you realize, you know, I haven't talked to that person in over a year. Um, it, your marriage, marriages can deteriorate. That at some point somebody just quits putting in the effort. Maybe it starts with one. Maybe it starts with both. Maybe it starts with the perception of one that the other one isn't putting in the effort needed. That the upkeep isn't important to them. And so the other one begins to just, well, if it's not important to you, it's not important to me. So the maintenance isn't done. The work isn't put in. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's through your job. Maybe you just decide that, you know what, my job, I don't like it. I don't like my boss. My boss is a dirty, nasty so-and-so. So I'm, I'm just not, I don't care. He doesn't care about me. So I'm not going to care about him. Kind of a situation. Um, it can happen in our, in our Christian walk that we just decide, you know, other things are more important and that we put value in other places. And how many of you know one of the biggest determiners of value is our time. Where we're investing our time. And so we just stop investing time in our relationship with God. And not going to church one Sunday turns into not going to church for three weeks. Turns into not being in church for three months. And you look around and you're like, how the flip did I get here? My life is upside down. I can, as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many calls that we get from a person and the very first start out of the, I know I haven't been in church in a long time, uh, years, but I really need your help. Do you know how many times we've gotten that phone call? Sure, you don't, but it's a lot. My arms are crossed because it's frustrating to me. It's very frustrating to me. I'm here every week. Every week. But somehow, something else is more important. And then when everything is falling apart, that's when you get the phone call. When when somebody calls and says, I'm struggling with this, and I don't know what to do, that all day long. But when it's like, I have not seen hiding her hair of you in six years, and then all of a sudden, I need your help. I'm... <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> You've been lost. All right, I'll get off that soapbox. It could be the same with, I'll just skip, I really don't feel like going to the gym today. And not going to the gym on Monday turns into not going to the gym all week turns into a McDonald's drive through and then pretty soon it's like, my pants don't fit. <laughs> it happens, right? Oh my gosh. But our life can be a reflection or a kind of a picture of that old abandoned house. And pretty soon when we neglect to pay attention, to give attention, to give priority, our life can look abandoned, dark, and broken down just like those houses, like the house down the road from me. I think the reason it's creepy is because I drove by one day and one of his peacocks had gotten hit out on the road. And so there was like peacock everywhere. And if that was my peacock, I would want that, you know, feathers and everything. So I went up to knock on the door to say, dude, your peacock got hit and nobody answered. 
But then all of a sudden, all these chickens came around the corner and they were after me. So I think that maybe is why it's creepy to me. So, but here's what I'm going to say is that God never thinks that we are too far gone. We are never so dilapidated. We are never so broke down. We are never so dark that God doesn't have hope for us and that we are not a perfect place for a heavenly shift. Look at your neighbor and say a heavenly shift. A heavenly shift. So I want to share an account from scripture this morning about a heavenly shift. But in order to do that, I'm going to need a few volunteers. If you have your Bible or you have your device with you, if you especially have a student sitting with you, I want you to get your Bible out or your device. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter eight. It's very, very important that we are... Uh, helping our children to navigate and to learn that the Bible, because the Bible is a big book, like that is the biggest book on your shelf. And it can seem so intimidating. But once we start learning that the Bible is not intimidating, it's got a lot of words in it and not a lot of pictures. Sorry, but <laughs> maps, you can look at maps. But anyway, always be bringing your Bible or your device. If you want to pull your device out and open up the version Bible app, that's a great app for you and your students to have on your phone. It's free. And there's like 14,473 translations of the Bible on there. Maybe not that many. I just made that number up, but that sounded so impressive, right? Okay. So first I need, I need four volunteers. Where is Miss Olivia? I know Miss Olivia is going to help me. So I need three more. I need three more student volunteers. Come on up here, sweetheart. I need two more student volunteers. All right, Charlie's coming, and Katie is going to help me. All right, come on up here, buddy. Court, sweet. All right, herdsmen, I need you guys to go over there and stand right there on the corner of the stage. Can we give a hand to our herdsmen? All right. Now I need one gentleman student. You guys, go ahead and hop up on the stage there. I need one gentleman. Where's a gentleman student? Come on up here, buddy. Yes. Woo. Okay, since you are the volunteer, do you want to be Jesus or do you want to be the madman? You get to, you could be Jesus. You come here and be Jesus. So come stand in your boat, Jesus. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Jesus delivered dog food in his off time. So you can, this is your boat. Okay. So you're going to be Jesus for us. You're awesome. High five for Jesus. Hand clap for Jesus. All right. Now I need one more young man. Where's another student? I need another a young man, a student. Come on up here. Come on up here. All right. Good job, buddy. All right. You're going to be our madman. All right. So I need you to come and, you know, oh, is he a madman at school? No. <laughs> okay. There you go. So go ahead and crouch down because you are going to be our madman and you're going to have a black scarf put around you to represent the darkness that is around you right now. Okay. So first of all, can we just tell them how much we appreciate them? Yes, you guys are awesome. All right. So everybody, everybody knows you look so happy, Jesus. That's a good looking shirt. Jesus, you look good today. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Join in a story here that's taking place in Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, and it says this. As soon as they stepped ashore on the eastern side of the lake in the land of Jacinares, Jesus steps out 
with his disciples. So step out of your boat right there, Jesus, and stand right there. And it says, the disciples were confronted by a demon-possessed madman from a nearby town. Many times he had been put under guard and bound with chains, but repeatedly the many demons inside him had thrown him into convulsions, breaking his shackles and driving him out of the town into the countryside. He had been demonized for a long time and was living naked in a cemetery among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and screamed out, what are you doing here? Okay, madman, come over here and get down at Jesus' feet. And like, like you're like, what the heck, Jesus? Just go ahead and crouch down right there. You can sit right there. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you guys hold right there. So then it says that, okay, we're jumping back down in here. Okay. You are Jesus, the son of the most high God. Jesus commanded the demons to come out of him and they shouted, we beg you, don't torture us. Jesus asked the man, what is your name? Ask him, what's, what's your name? There you go. Good job. Good job. <laughs> um, the, the madman replied, mob, the demons answered. We are a mob for there are many of us here in this man. We beg you, don't banish us to the bottomless pit of the abyss. On the hillside nearby, there were a large herd of pigs. Okay, herdsmen, pick up your pigs. There was a large herd of pigs. Um, there we go. And the demons pled with Jesus, let us enter into the pigs. So Jesus ordered all of the mob of demons to come out of the man and enter into the pigs. The crazed herd of swine stampeded over the cliff onto, into the lake and all of them drowned. All right. Throw your pigs off of the cliff, but don't throw your basket. Just like that. There you go. <laughs> yes. Pigs everywhere. Okay. And the pigs drowned. When the herders tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off in fear and reported to the nearby town and throughout the countryside. Then the people of the region came out to see for themselves what had happened. So herdsmen, if you guys would all come and stand around behind the chair back here. And then if we could, Jesus, if you would remove the black cloth from the madman here because all his demons are gone. So go ahead and take that black scarf off of him. And I'll take it. All right. Now, take that white cloth over there. And can you wrap that white cloth around his shoulders for me? Yes, that's awesome. Go ahead and stand up, sir, because all the demons are gone. So go ahead and just wrap that around him. Perfect. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. There you go. And Jesus, go ahead and sit on your chair right there, if you would. Yes, sir. Yeah, Jesus, you go ahead and sit on the chair. And then you are all set free, so you're sitting at the feet of Jesus now. Awesome. When they came to where Jesus was, they discovered the notorious madman totally set free. He was clothed, speaking intelligently, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were shocked. The eyewitnesses to the miracle reported all that they had seen and how the demonized man was completely delivered from his torment. After hearing about such an amazing power, the townspeople became frightened. Be frightened. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Soon all the people of the region of Hesineries surrounded the country, begged Jesus to leave them, for they were gripped with fear. So Jesus got into the boat, intending to return to Galilee. Okay, Jesus, come get back in your boat. 
Good job, Jesus. Good job. But the man who had been set free begged Jesus over and over not to leave. Okay, sir. So you don't want Jesus to leave. So wrap your arms around his legs so that he can't go anywhere. Because you don't want him to leave you, right? Hold on to him right there saying, let me be with you. Can you tell Jesus, let me stay with you. Let me stay with you. Is he awesome or what? (laughs) Jesus sent him away saying these instructions. So Jesus point and tell him. Return to your home and your family and tell them all the wonderful things God has done for you. Amen. So the man went away and preached to everyone who would listen about the amazing miracle Jesus had worked in his life. Amen. Good job. Can you guys give him a hand? You guys are awesome. You guys can all go back to your seats. Do you want a marshmallow? You can get a marshmallow. (laughs) You guys, thank you so much for helping. So here's what I think about. This story always... Here's marshmallows for everyone. (laughs) This story... This account of the (laughs) madman... This account gets me in the heart every time because I think about, yeah, this, this man who has been living among tombs, like different translations. I love the way that different translations put it, but literally this man had been chained up. He had been tied up by the townspeople and he was so tormented and so out of control with darkness that he could not be around people. And anytime they would try to control him or bind him up, the demonic force on the inside of him was so strong that it would break those chains. That's a lot. That's a lot of torment on the inside of a person. And that's real. That's real. But this man has an encounter with Jesus. This man whose life was in decay and who was falling apart, who was filled with darkness, who had been abandoned, who had been completely isolated, went from sleeping with tombs, wrapping, having nothing to wrap around or to to wrap himself around, but an empty tomb, coldness and dark, to sitting at the feet of Jesus. This man went from complete and total darkness around him and on the inside of him to sitting with the one who is the light. That he went from such mental anguish and torment to sitting at the feet of the Prince of Peace. That is a huge shift. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a heavenly shift. That is a heavenly shift. And we look at this man and the situation and the, the, the place that his life was in. And Jesus went all the way there for this man. He sailed across water for his encounter with this one man. And in that moment, this one man's life changed. I think about when was the last time that somebody had actually approached him and cared for him with compassion and with love that 
every time somebody was coming at this man, they were trying to tie him up or bind him or wrap him with chains. I mean, this man was, I can visualize, can you just get a picture of what this man looked like and what his life looked like? And now the story tells us that when the people saw him, he was fully clothed and in such a place that he was speaking intelligently. So it's not that this man was incapable of it. He had it at some point in time, because if he was speaking intelligently, that means that at one point in time, he had been learned and he had been taught that he was able to receive information and to retain that information. But whatever had happened in his life, there's a whole, this is a whole nother sermon, but what had happened in his life had brought him to this place that he was the outlet for all of these demons. And an encounter with one man completely shifted his life, shifted everything for him in a moment. So I would just ask you right now, whatever, whatever situation you're in, whatever the situation looks like and whatever your life looks like right now, if this one man was not too far gone, you are not too far gone. Your situation is not too far gone. I felt... And I've been sensing this as we've been talking, uh, if you've been here since the beginning of the year, this has been a repeated, very organic uh, stream that we've been in as a church is restoration. And what I felt, God, a really strong sensing of what I felt, I'm trying to say how to find the words how to say this. There is an urgency that I sense on the inside of me to declare to you that the restoration that God is bringing in your life will require a shift of mindset in order to partner with the restoration that God is bringing and that he has started in your life. That you cannot carry the old mindset. You cannot carry the mindset that we had when we were living among the tombs. Whatever that area is in your life, whatever that area was in your life, that the mindset, the way that we think, the way that we process, the way that we perceive, and the way that we project cannot stay the same. That the same as there was a shift for this man in the natural and in the spiritual, we we will see the shift in the natural realm, but we have to partner with that shift in the spiritual realm in our minds and in the way that we think if we are going to take the restoration that God is doing in our life and steward that and begin to cultivate that restoration to begin to produce more restoration in other areas of our life. We cannot hold the same mindsets and partner with the new that God is doing. There's a passage of scripture earlier in Luke that talks about that you don't cut up a new garment to make a patch for an old garment. And then it goes on to say that you don't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin because the old wineskin will burst if you try to put the new wine into it. We 
cannot afford to be old wineskins today because God is pouring out the new wine. He is pouring out the restoration. He is pouring out the life. He is pouring out the restoring of the mind. He's pouring out prosperity. He's pouring out healing. He's pouring out miracles, signs, and wonders. And if we are holding on to the old way of thinking and the old way of doing things, we will not be able to contain or to partner with what God is doing, moving into the new thing, and we will find ourselves left behind. It's a heavenly shift. See, when when we talk about restoration and wanting restoration in our marriages, wanting restoration in relationships, in our finances, restoration in your health, restoration in your mind, there has to be a partnership and a change. We cannot... Uh, now, let me... Everybody, right here. Look at your neighbor and say, pay, pay close attention right now. You cannot earn... Or do enough or read your Bible enough or be good enough for the restoration of God. It is not of works. It is not of anything that you can do. It is 100% the blood of Jesus Christ. With that, faith without works is dead. A heavenly shift, but faith without works is dead. It's the same. It's the same as I don't know why. I don't know why my life is just falling apart. So I'm just going to lay in bed. You cannot lay in bed and think that things are going to get better. We cannot lay in bed in our spiritual walk with God and think that things are going to get better. We have to actively partner with what God is doing. And it's going to require a shift in the way that we're thinking. There's a lot of different, a lot of different things that I could go over with that, but it's, we, we may not be physically, now we're not physically, hopefully there's no one in here who's physically living in a graveyard, but there are things, patterns that we have developed in our mind, in the way that we think that have wrapped us around tombstones and graveyards. They lead us into death and into no, uh, no hope. They lead us into anxiety. They lead us into depression. They lead us into anger. They lead us into rage. They lead us into fear. And those mindsets that continually wrap around tombstones, that keeps us trapped. And when we become wrapped around that, that develops in our mind. Okay, so like when, when, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, Boom is the first thing out of your mouth, a cuss word. Don't raise your hands. <laughs> and students, don't tell on your parents. <laughs> Kids are so honest, aren't they? They're so honest. Not me. <laughs> but here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm just using that as a little example of as if your go-to is immediately to get ticked off. That can become a tombstone that our brain then, whenever that happens, your brain automatically goes in that route of thinking. That when, 
uh, when something, something breaks in the house and you're going to have to repair it and it's going to cost money to repair it. Bam. Automatically. The thought process is just when we start getting ahead, every time this happens and our finances get jacked up and we're not going to have enough money to do this now because we had this plan for this and this happened and now everything's going to be screwed up. Bam. That's your, that is a train in your brain that is whoop, wrapping around a tombstone. You, you get where I'm going? If good things start happening, things start breaking open, things start clearing, doors are opening for you, and your thought process is, okay, when is the other shoe going to drop? Because this is too good. You know the old saying, it's too good to be true, then it probably is. That's a tombstone. That is a brain path wrapped around a tombstone. You are the chosen child of the most high God. Why would things not go your way? You are royalty. Why would things not go your way? When things aren't going your way, that should not be. That should not be the, that should not be the term or that should not be the course long term. So when I've not done this, but I've, I've watched a lot. There's like a whole network on television, numbers of them now dedicated to, uh, the programs about restoring houses. There's something about that restoration process that we love. And I love when they go into the old stuff. <laughs> but that, if, if that tells you right there, that I don't know how many networks and how many shows are on now about restoring old houses, restoring old cars, restoring old properties. That tells you that there is something in the human being that loves the story of restoration. There's something about us. You don't have, you don't even have to be born again. To love that story of restoration. To love the path of restoration. But one thing that I've learned from watching it on TV, like I said, I've not ever done that myself, is that a lot of times when they purchase an old home or an old car, I, my father-in-law restored cars. <clears throat> and there, what he called it was, he called it cancer, the um, rust in it. You got to get rid of all the cancer is what he would say. I heard him say that a few times, but the same with the, when you buy an old house, if the wood is rotting and it's, you know, brittle and crumbling apart, you can't just paint that. Well, it's restored. You have to go in and tear down the old part. Ashley is nodding. I know they, they are going through this. You have to go in and tear down what is old and rotting and isn't capable of supporting the new that is being constructed. So the same way is you have to tear down that old stuff because if you leave the old stuff there, it will compromise the integrity of the new that is being established, right? So the same way for that, we have to go in and we have to tear down some of those old mindsets that will compromise the integrity of the new that God is establishing, and I just want to name a couple of them. Um, the keys to that shift. Look at your neighbor and say, here's keys to a shift. The keys to shift. These are just a few. And number one is repent. That if in any way your actions or attitudes contributed to the darkness, repent. If there are things that you have said, here's what I'm going to say to all the married couples in the room. If you want a better marriage, stop tearing down what God is trying to build in your marriage with your actions and your attitudes every day. 
If you say you want a better marriage, partner in your mind with what God is establishing for a better marriage for you. And then very simply do it, do it. I asked a gentleman, uh, there's a gentleman at our gym and he has been married for over, I think he said they were married this year for 63 years. And I asked him, what would you say is a key for longevity in your marriage? And he stood and he thought for just like three seconds. And he said, do the right thing. You know in your heart what is right. Do it. And he was very stern about that. Do it, he said. Now, he's a he's a Christian man. So he says, you know the right thing, do it. So if we did that in our marriages, Chance and Gina would have a whole lot uh, less to deal with in the marriage ministry. We would just get to celebrate stuff. Psalm 34, 18 in the Passion Translation says, The Lord is close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain, but he is always ready to restore the repentant one. God's always ready to restore the repentant one. So if you need to repent, repent. And then stop tearing down what God is building up. The second one is just very simply recognize old thought patterns that were developed while living among the tombs and get rid of it. Any thought that you are having that does not lead to more hope in your life and in your future is attached to a lie. Any thought about your future that is not increasing and building hope and excitement on the inside of you is attached to a lie. If it causes you anxiety, it's attached to a lie. Any thought that you think out that causes you fear, it's attached to a lie. Any thought that you're thinking through that leads to hopelessness and depression and that you don't know how you're going to get this done, that you don't know how you're going to make it through this and you feel a heaviness and a darkness setting in, that's attached to a lie. So if it's attached to a lie, that means it's not the truth. So we identify where that comes from. That does not come from the father of lights. It's coming from darkness, which is the enemy, which is the one who wants to make you wrap your mind around tombs. So we stop thinking that we recognize, okay, that is not what God is saying. So I'm going to tell that to shut up. Mom and dad, that's the one time kids can say shut up is when they are speaking to the thoughts of darkness and that the enemy is sending to them. They can say, I command that to shut up. And then you say, God, what do you say about that? And when you start hearing what God says about that, that is where you begin to think that we renew our minds to what the word of God is saying. Amen. Amen. So if your thought is nothing good ever happens to me, where's that coming from? The devil, right? So what do we say to that? Shut up. And then if we, we say, we tell that no. And then we say, God, what do you say? God says, I am a good God and I always send good and perfect gifts to you. What do we say to that? I'll take take it. Yes. Yes. Amen. 
So the next is the first one is to repent. The next is to recognize it. The next one is to commit to the process. <clears throat> You're going to have to make a shift. And it's just what I was saying earlier is commit to the process of the rebuilding. It would be a terrible thing if you were reconstructing a house and you spent a whole day laying out new wood floors and then the next day you decided to go in there and, and you know, have a soccer game and everybody wear metal cleats. That would be ridiculous. You just tore up everything that you just did. But how much time do we spend doing that? That God is establishing something in our life and just because of the things that have happened in our past or the way that things have gone before that we think, well, that's how it happened then. So this is how it's going to happen now. That's where you listen to the testimonies that the Lord has established in other people. If you haven't experienced that testimony yet, get a testimony that has happened with someone else. Because it encourages you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he has done in someone else's life, he will do in your life. He will do it again. Get that testimony. So commit to the process. Stop tearing down what God is building up. And the last one is celebrate the little breakthroughs like it's the full victory. We, I'm just going to say, we had a very, to me, it was very expensive home uh, repair that had to be done. We had to replace our boiler in our, in our, uh, house. And to me, that was very expensive. And at one point in time, I would have completely freaked out about that. Like I'm telling you like days, like it would have taken me days to come out of the, the head spin that that would have put me into. And uh, we called the people out. When we moved into the house, when we bought the house, we knew that we were going to have to replace that boiler at some point because our house was built in 1967, two, 62. And we knew when we bought it that that was going to have to be replaced and it was not going to be a cheap replacement when we would have to replace it. So when it came about that we were going to have to replace that, um, number one, we found out that it had caught on fire on the inside and praise God, the fire was contained. We don't know when, but it was totally burnt up on the inside and the fire didn't spread to anywhere else. It contained in that boiler, praise the Lord, the little victory, full victory right there. <laughs> so our house didn't catch on fire, but I knew if I let myself for a second go down the path of I'm not going to have enough. This is going to be terrible. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. This is all down the path. I could not allow that to happen for a second. Otherwise it would take off with me. I know that about me. I know me. So (laughs) I told Darren, I trust you. He's the head of our household. My husband has wisdom. God has established him as my covering and I trust him. That number one, I put myself in in position, submitting to God and submitting to my husband as a wife. So I had to submit myself to my husband and trust that my husband has the wisdom to lead through this situation in our household. So I left the room. <laughs> I literally left the room because I was like, I don't want, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to, that's where I'm at. Like, you know, for me, ignorance is bliss at this moment. So I just left the room and I just went and prayed and I was like, God, I trust you. And I'm just, I'll say this, God has seen to it that that has not caused us to have to compromise in any other area of our life. God provides. He is so faithful. He is so faithful. But 
we got a check in the mail. It was a small check, but it was completely unexpected income. It was from something that I didn't even know was a thing. And we opened up the check and it was, it was like a hundred dollars, but I was like, praise God, he's paying off our boiler. <laughs> But I literally celebrated that like it was the full payoff of the boiler because that's what I'm praying for, full payoff. And God is doing it, but it might just be a little victory. Maybe you make it through a whole day without raising your voice at your spouse. Praise God. Maybe you make it all the way through Denver without flipping anybody off. Praise God. That's huge, right? We should celebrate that. But when we start recognizing those little things that are breaking loose, those little things that are happening, what happens is it develops on the inside of us. We take our thoughts from wrapping around the tombs and we begin to wrap them around what God is doing and that God is moving. And rather than thinking about what he isn't, doing, we start thinking about what he is doing and we start being thankful for what he's doing. And when we are thankful, our thanksgiving brings us into the courts with praise and we put ourselves in a position where we're right there with God with a heart full of gratitude. And when we start thanking God for things, we start seeing the more that he's doing and the more he's doing, the more we thank him and the closer it puts us at his feet. It's developing that on the inside of us. So those keys to a shift create a different mindset, but we have to remember that when God brings restoration to us, it's not just for us. That restoration, just like the man that Jesus delivered from all of those demons, it wasn't just for that man. And this is where that account gets me is that man, the one translation says that he begged Jesus not to leave. He begged Jesus to go with him. And I think about people who have been in places of such darkness and such torment places where when I lay in bed at night that I'm just, my mind is so consumed with fear about something or I feel so hurt. I feel so betrayed. I feel so abandoned and that this was this man's life 24 seven and that he has an encounter with God so much so that he begs Jesus to go with him because what is his life going to look like when Jesus leaves? He was alone, he was in darkness, he was in constant torment, but one encounter, and he doesn't want this Jesus to leave. But Jesus tells him no. And I think, oh, Jesus, have a little compassion. (laughs) This man, I don't know how long he was in that shape. And all he wanted to do was just be with Jesus. But Jesus says to him, no, because the shift that just happened in your life, you're the one that I'm going to partner with now, even though I'm not here in the physical, what I've done in your life is a testimony of what I want to do for everyone in this entire region. This one demoniac man who experienced freedom, who experienced a shift 
now would be the very first missionary evangelist to evangelize an entire region of people who had been untouched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What won't God do through you? You might look at yourself and you might think, I don't, I, I don't know that God could use me like that. If he could use a crazy naked dude from a cemetery, he could use you. He can use you. But it requires a shift in your thinking to move from the place of, I don't know if God wants to partner with me. I don't know what God could do through me. A shift to say, what couldn't God do through me? What region does God want to change through me? What household does God want to change? What family does God want to change through me? What darkness does God want to obliterate through me? Because your testimony of what God has done in your life obliterates darkness. Completely casts it out. When the name of Jesus is spoken, darkness cannot stay. And if you are, if you're just learning and you're, you feel like you're relatively new, like you look at the size of your Bible and you're like, that's so intimidating. If you know nothing else, know to speak the name of Jesus. If you're in a situation you don't know what to pray, pray in your most holy prayer language and speak the name of Jesus. Speak Jesus. There is a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 that says, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. See, when we make that shift, we become, you think, think about being like a great big billboard with lights running all around it, flashing and like, wow, wow, wow. That's your life. So I want you to think about this. How silly would it be? All of the students in here, all you guys have bathrooms in your house. Yeah. Can you just say praise the Lord for that? Right. So what would it be like if your parents bought this old, old house that was all torn down and it didn't have indoor plumbing in it? It had like a outhouse, like way out back that you would have to walk and carry toilet paper with you. Ew. But then your parents redo the house and you get indoor plumbing, but you still go to the outhouse to go to the bathroom. Why? That is the most excellent question. That is what God is saying to us. I gave you the spirit of God on the inside of you. Why are you still acting like you got to go to the outhouse? Amen. We don't have to go to the outhouse anymore. It's a shift in our mind to partner with the restoration that God is doing in us to then be an advertisement to other people. And you can change a whole region. 
you could change the world. I'm not going to limit you to a region. There are world changers in here. So what does God want to shift through you? So I want to, I felt like, uh, I felt like we needed to do this. Uh, where is everyone in here that was, if you were in the, if you're on the prayer team or if you were in the, um, uh, prophetic lab that we did last summer, would you just raise your hand real quick? Yes. All around the room. And I want to include all of the students in this. So I want you to right now, I want you to just pay attention, just tune your, tune your dial. We talked about this in the lab, tune your dial into the Holy Spirit right now. So you're tuning into the channel because I'm sense that God was wanting to share some things with us this morning. And so if you hear something, if you feel something, if you sense something, anybody from the lab or from the prayer team, um, if you get that, if you would just stand because I did feel like this morning um, that God, I'm sensing that God is wanting to heal specifically plantar fasciitis. Is there anyone in here with plantar fasciitis? Yes. Okay. Yes. Keep your hands up. If that's you, keep your hands up high. Right here in the, yes. And right here, right here. So look around and if somebody around you has a hand up, you don't have to be on the prayer team or the lab. You just have to be a person who loves Jesus and is following relationship with Jesus. So if there's a person around you that has their hand in the air, would you just extend your hand? And if you're sitting next to them, when you feel released to put your hand on them. So if God is calling that out, God is healing it right now. So I know that God is healing plantar fasciitis right now. There was something with the feet this morning. I was also uh, feeling uh, heel spurs. Like where it feels like, I don't know if that's in it, but it feels like you have gravel in under your skin when you walk and you're your heel. What is that? What? Okay, so is, is there anybody in here that has experiences that right there as well? Is there anybody else? Okay, so right there. Uh, will you guys pray for Janai right there? Now, anybody from the lab or students, if anybody, let me ask the students in here right now. Do any of you feel heat? In your hands, I want you just to pay attention to your hands for just a moment. Do any of you feel heat in your hands or you feel like your hands all of a sudden have like butterflies in them? Does any, do any students feel that right now? Court, you do? Court, could you come on up here, buddy? Do any other students have that right now? Isabel, come on up here, sweetheart. Yeah, come here, lovey. Jaden, yeah, come on up here. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Look, Jesus is coming. (laughs) High five, bud. Awesome. Okay, yeah, and court. So I want to ask this, our prayer team, if the prayer team would come up and be with our students right now. Is there anybody from the lab that feels like God is speaking a word to you or you have a scripture or you're seeing a picture of anything, anybody from the lab or the prayer team that has that right now, 
Do any of you guys have, do you have a picture or a word that God is, just one word that you feel like God is saying? Yeah, that. Okay, anybody from the lab have anything? So here's what I want to ask. I want to ask, Royce, can you move this for me? Here's what I want to ask is if I'm going to ask our students to spread out across here. And if you know that there are mindsets that you have that need to be broken off, that they're old mindsets. And if the prayer team, if you guys would position yourself behind a student, If you know that there are mindsets that need to be broken off of you, come and stand in front of one of these students. Or if there is physical healing that you need in your body, there's things that when God puts that heat in your hands, it's because God is wanting you to partner with his spirit right now to pray for someone. So that's what we're going to do with that. So if that is you, you know that there's mindsets that need to be broken. You need that shift in your mind or you need physical healing. I want you to come quickly right now. Quick, quick, quick. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Who wants it? Rachel needs prayer. Go ahead and come up here. Rachel needs prayer for her knee. Who would like to come and pray for Rachel and lay hands on Rachel? Isabel, would you come too, sweetheart? Come here. Yeah, come on. You can come. Come, Tony. And you guys pray for Rachel, and Tony is going to come and help you guys. All right. So here's what I'm going to say. They stepped out in faith, and if there's somebody standing in front of you, prayer team, will you help them to pray, and you just stand... And whenever students, whenever you feel like it's time, I want you just to reach out. When you feel like God says, do it now, just reach out and put your hand on their shoulder. And all I want you to do is release the love of God that's on the inside of you. You're going to let it flow out of you and it's going to flow right into that person. Thank you, Father. So here's what I'm going to say. They stepped out in faith. They had the boldness. And if you're sitting in your seat right now and you know you need to come up, have the faith of a child and come up right now. Don't wait. Thank you, Father. Oh, that's good. That's good. So the word, uh, Christine is the head of our prayer team, if you don't know her. If you want a student to put a, a hand on your shoulder, just come and stand next right here. Yeah. And prayer team, help them move from one person to the next. Uh, Christine's felt like there was a weariness that uh, there are people that are just tired of fighting the fight and that it might even be hard for you to get up and come and ask for prayer because you're just tired. You're just tired of fighting and that weariness is there. So there is a person who is coming here down the aisle. If somebody can go to her. So if that speaks to anybody, if you would just go ahead and uh, come up. Christine is in the burgundy shirt here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're sitting, if you would just stretch your hands out towards these kids while they're praying for people. We're just going to take a couple more minutes. It won't take long. As soon as you put your hand on their shoulder, you can pray. It's just a quick prayer. And then you can tell them in the name of Jesus, amen. 
So it doesn't have to be a long prayer. You just release God's love through you. You guys are awesome. Thanks, buddy. Good job. Good job, Jaden. You can, yeah, yeah, you're good, buddy. Thanks for coming and helping. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Good job. Good job. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you. Good job. Can we tell our students thank you? Yes. So we have a little bit of a different end of service for you today. So if everybody could just hold their seats for just a moment, we're going to sign off for our online uh, family. We're going to take care of some. We have a, cel- a little bit of a celebration here in the auditorium, but we just want to say thank you so much for joining with us today. And as 